0: Welcome to Managing Marketing and today I'm joined by Mark Fletcher, Director of Shop Science. Welcome, Mark.
1: Thanks Darren. It's very good to see you again.
0: Well, and we have, as you pointed out earlier, known each other for many years.
1: Well, it might even be more than 20, so yes. to say. Well, let's not go into <laughs> numbers because that
0: just makes us feel older. But I think uh, a bit of uh, silver in the hair is testament to the fact that we've uh, yep. been around for a while, huh? Indeed. And uh, in that time, uh, I think we've both seen a lot of changes happening in the advertising and marketing industry.
1: It's, yeah, it's certainly a case of either evolve or die to be part of that world now, because virtually every paradigm that, that I experienced over 20 years ago starting in the industry has pretty much broken up now. So, yeah, it's, a, it's very few of the old rules, except fundamental things like if people, aren't happy, they're not going to buy things, all those type of things. But, uh, yeah, almost everything else has changed.
0: Well, I, I say to people, you know, one of the great things is human beings don't change. True. They evolve. True. But technology is changing. And I think that's really the big, uh, the big issue. You know, in our careers, I think, uh, you know, I remember a time when... Uh, you were given a computer for the first time to actually write, copy, and do things on, rather than giving it to the copy typist. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, I don't think there's anyone that knows how to write with a pen because <laughs> everyone <laughs> does it on their uh, tablets or phones or yep. or uh, desktops. So, you know, technology clearly has a big uh, impact, and people say. And we, we hear things like, you know, the industry's being disrupted and, you know, there's transformation happening and things like that. But I, I think a lot of people don't really take the time to understand how big this is.
1: No, it, it's hard. <laughs> it's impossible to disagree with you. What, what we find in our work is that um, they, they don't take the time and a lot of times they don't even want to know because it is too uh, challenging. Um, it, it's things like oh uh, you know, you'll talk to a senior manager and they'll say oh that facebook I, I know it's getting bigger but i i can't really get my head around it my daughter does she's great on facebook and she shows me stuff every now and again and they won't appreciate that there's they'll think it's their kids talking they won't appreciate in some industries it's the principal method of communication within the industry is is it, uh, people conversing on facebook and exchanging ideas so it's it's That particular mechanism is just a kid's one. But a lot of those people don't want to face up for the change.
0: Mark, it's interesting you choose Facebook because my 80-year-old father has discovered Facebook, but unfortunately he thinks that it's actually like um, online email. Right. And and so he puts things on there that I have to respond to and then delete (laughs) because, you know, it's actually very personal and quite revealing about him. But he's actually not... Uh, clued into the fact that, what is it, about 800 million active users around the world could probably see what he's writing.
1: And enjoy it.
0: Well, I I exaggerate (laughs) because I have set his privacy settings, so (laughs) at least all of my friends and his friends would be able to see it. But um, one of the big areas, and, and I think probably the most exciting area about technology, is the fact that... The data technology can collect is giving us better insight in real time to the behaviours of customers and consumers than ever before. And, you know, was it last year or the year before everyone was going big data, big data, big data? But I wouldn't mind exploring this with you because I think it is a huge transformational change that's happening for marketers. So... Big data and data, what are they and what are the differences from your perspective?
1: Sure. Um, look, in really simplistic terms, big data is a mess. It, it, it's, it's a massive, it, it's like grains of sand. You know, and uh, individually, those grains may be interesting, but they can't do anything individually. So you can't build a sandcastle.
0: With or you can, but it'll get washed away well, at the high tide. Yeah.
1: Indeed. Let's not go that far to the analogy. I mean, one of the ones we use a lot is to say that um, you take your kids down to the beach and you, and you, and they go, wow, look at all this sand and you say, okay, let's build a sandcastle. W- what do we need to take these grains and make them into something useful like a sandcastle? Well, Castle, castle. You need two things. One is you need the raw materials, sand, but you also need some tools, a a spade or whatever, and some water. Because if you just try to build sand without those tools, you've got a heap. (laughs) You don't have a a castle. On the other dimension, if you like, unless you have a plan or a a pretty good idea of what it's going to end up at the end, then um, again, you might have a beach, you might have a big flat surface. You've got to have a plan of where you want to go. So... In a simple sense, big data is that beach, that huge collection of um, dots of grains of sand. But to make some sense out of them, then what you've got to is have the tools and the vision to do it. Now, um, so the different and, and what that castle represents in this very laboured analogy is the data. Data, in my view, data is the three or four dot points on a presentation slide that management can actually walk away and remember. Right? Big data is the... Uh, as we we're talking before, the forty and fifty pages of appendices that no one ever reads. Well, I um, it, it's interesting that you use that because I actually
0: love the uh, distinction, which is there is data, yep, there is information, sure, there is insight, and then there is wisdom.
1: Absolutely, okay? yeah. And so,
0: data or data is just a collection of information. Sure, you know points numbers, whatever. Then there is insights, or information. Information Information then then collects that data into packages that you can then analyze and consume. And then there's, uh, from information, there goes insights. And this is where the real value comes from the whole process, because it's insight that gives you an opening to an opportunity that you hadn't seen before. And hopefully other people hadn't seen before because that then gives you a potential competitive advantage in the marketplace. And then over time will grow knowledge and wisdom, which is start to inform you of what to look for in information to get insights in the first place because you start to learn what are the ways that patterns
1: emerge couldn't agree more, Darren. The only comment I'd make is that in our experience, the most common place where that breaks down is actually at the insight, when you're going from the insight stage to, what was your next one? Um, uh, wisdom?
0: Uh, uh, from insights to knowledge and wisdom. Uh, yeah. Knowledge
1: and wisdom. Okay. The, there's some great people out there who can take big data and turn it into data, right? That's a largely a scientific process. And then there are a number of lots of people who can extract the data into information.
0: And information would be 52% of people do this. Absolutely. right? Or the people doing this has increased by 10%. Absolutely. This is all information because really it doesn't give me anything other than information. Insight would be then to say, well, this is a trend. Yep. and the motivation, underlying motivations, could be this. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if I find ways of encouraging that, I could drive the trend further because it could be a positive, or it is a positive for my business.
1: I completely agree uh, in that. But what I'm saying is where where we see it most falling over in the process of ideally, it should go from all those steps to the end, where an organisation makes, you know, invents fabulous new products or innovates in its services or whatever. Typically, the place that it fails is where the insights person can't actually communicate effectively with the organisation, because the organisation is coming from one paradigm, where they've got costs, where they've got infrastructure, where they've got business objectives and all those type of things, and they're very rooted in their organisation, in their very being. Then you've got these insight people who quite often run around going, oh, you should build something over here, or you should do that. But the organisation goes, oh, I, can't, I, I don't know how to use that information. It's kind of interesting, but it's unusable. So we see that an enormous amount in market research. You know, market research, which is basically just a, a poor man's version of big data, market, and you must have seen this, will create segments, right? segmentation. And they'll be fantastic. And you look at them and you go, wow, that's, that's so insightful. And particularly the ones which are psychographically based. You go, I know my neighbour's just like that one and my daughter's just like that one. And then you take it to the organization and they go, Oh, interesting, but we can't use that. We can't leverage those segments because they're psychographically based or something. And we can't find those people. We might know what to say to them because we've got some idea of their heads. We can't find them. We can't measure them if we're getting if we're actually working with them and getting more money out of them. So that would to me would be a great example where the segment where the insight can't interface with the organisation.
0: It it reminds me, and I can't remember if it was Coca-Cola, it was one of those beverage brands and and someone had done a huge amount of segmentation and they said, seriously, all we need to find is any bastard with a (laughs) mouth. That's the segment, any bastard with a mouth, that'll be fine. Um, But you raised um, market research in Mm -hmm. there and I think it's really interesting because I've had a number of conversations with very... Senior marketers and very large organizations where their data analytics team, which has access to huge amounts of big data and busy chopping it into data and yep. then information and then insights, um, turn around and say things like, because we've got all this data, yep. we don't need to do market research sure. anymore because you, know, you did say it's a poor man's version of uh, absolutely. big data. Yep. So is this the death of market research? Do you need market
1: research, in your opinion? No, absolutely you do, but it's it's the death of the industry as we knew it. So, again... 20 plus years when I started in the industry of, at, at that stage called market research, there, it was really the only way that you could understand much about anyone was to go out and ask them or to do a survey of them or something like that. So it had to fulfill a whole range of functions. It had to it had to um, measure behavior. It had to measure perceptions. It had to um, measure needs. It had to do all of these different things. And it, it was a master of none, really. And, that's leaving aside all of the psychological research, which says when people answer a question, they're answering a question. They're not actually telling you what they feel and think or do. Leaving the latter side, you're trying to use this one tool to to fulfill these vast range of functions. And so not surprisingly, it it didn't do any of them very well. And it was inordinately expensive. So we tended to simplify the things that we tried to find out, because it it would have been way too expensive to ask a survey that was an hour and a half long. To ask a census of someone. Mm. So we, we cut it down to ten minute nodules or, or surveys. Sound bites. Sound bites, really, yes, which don't which aren't representative really of people. So anyway, that's the long story. So that that was all the failings of the industry and that was in its heyday. Well, along come all these other things, social media which you could argue is a form of big data in some ways in terms of being no, it is a, massive generates a
0: huge amount of data, data exactly. around relationships, uh, opinions, all sorts all of things. All that type of stuff. Just ask Facebook.
1: <laughs> Indeed. And there's you know, all that data. You were talking about behavioural data of customers and transactions and all those type of things. So you know, any sort of rational person would say, okay, there's strengths and weaknesses in all of those fields, uh, all of those uh, mechanisms let's try and um, you know leverage the strengths be aware of the weaknesses and potentially join up as many of them you can as possible to get a uh, holistic view or understanding of the situation so that doesn't cut out market research it just means that it's got a particular role mm-hmm. and we'd argue um, one of our sort of basic ethoses is that market research m- works most effectively as a um, as a tool to explore things which you um, probably already have some hypotheses or ideas about. It can put sense and meaning around those. But um, if, you just, uh, if, you, if you use it in the old way, which was, oh, we've got this ocean of consumers out there, we'll run some focus groups and, and try and lift out the insights from that. Well, who knows yeah. what fell between the net <laughs> um, and who knows if you're fishing in the right spot in the ocean? So the likelihood of catching the right trout or whatever you're after is very, very raw, uh, rare yeah. from uh, from traditional market research. I like I
0: like that approach because it talks straight to and and we both have science backgrounds. Yep. so for me, it talks straight to the scientific method. Absolutely. And in some ways, the observe, Mm -hmm. You know, the traditional, classical scientific method was observe the natural world. Mm -hmm. So observing the natural world is looking at behavioural data, looking for trends or behaviours that... um, And then making a hypothesis from your observations and then setting up an experiment to to actually test the hypothesis with a control to get a a positive or, or negative outcome or a neutral outcome. And so in some ways, uh, you know, I explain to people, because there is this real trend away from market research, mm. that market research properly properly constructed and executed is a great way of testing oh. a particular hypothesis Absolutely, without right. committing mm, a lot
1: of money to actually Absolutely. go to the market to test it. Now, uh, that's a great way of putting it, because that... That, to our view, that is how market research should be used. And it doesn't mean that it always has to be qualitative. Quantitative can be effective as well. It's just you know, the right tool for the job. So um, in that sense, the, uh, the, the other thing coming back to big data, though. Um, and we had this conversation before about the traditional way of doing market research is it would take you a month or six weeks to, to get the answer from your survey or focus groups or whatever, and it would cost you tens of thousands of dollars. So even if you did develop some hypotheses early in, in the process of, of a market research study, you've got a limited amount of time and money in which to sort of explore and develop those. With big data, we can... Um, develop hypotheses so quickly and so cost effectively through analysis and segmentation and all those type of things that we can uh, generate 30, 50 hypotheses through manipulating the data and not just data in terms of um, numbers in a customer database, but um, data in a broader sense of taking into account census data and Mm -hmm. trends. and all Taking a very broad view and say, oh, I think it might be this, this, this and this. Do a little bit more qualification, and and then take some really good things into the research. Yeah. So, very quickly and cheaply, you can develop some good hypotheses. I mean,
0: and even in a way, filter or, oh, or sense check them. Absolutely. Without actually testing no. them. Yeah, because from the point of view of um, research, you know, and you mentioned qual and quant. Hmm. Um the fact is that whether you use qual and quant and yep. they should always be used together absolutely right yep. or you're looking at uh, psychographic testing mm-hmm. um, what you're really looking for is the underlying yep. motivations of people yes because one of the limitations of most of the data and, and we started off mm. this conversation saying technology is driving this most of technology can tell you where I am sure. and possibly what I'm doing. Yes. But the one thing it can't do is actually read my mind yet yeah, <laughs> to indeed. tell you why I'm no, doing indeed. it. Yep. Yeah? And I think that's why there is still a role for, and, and I'll say it, for good market research, because there is a lot, isn't there? There is a lot of crappy, oh. cheap research out there that is like band-aiding um, problems.
1: Uh, yeah, it's and, and it takes all these different forms of, mm-hmm. of band-aids, but yeah, it's it's it is a bit terrifying. And uh, I have this discussion with clients a lot where they show me previous research and and some of it's beautifully done in, and and uh, obviously had a graphic designer involved and all those type of things. And I'll literally ask the question, you know you've got this twenty page report and it's it's fantastic and looks great. So, how many times have you looked past you know, the first two pages of the executive summary, and if I'd just written those points on a piece of paper, would they have given you as much insight? So out of the $30,000 on, on the market research study, $20,000 have been wasted in stuff that they didn't actually... Uh, value beyond that moment when they handed over the report and went oh that looks great or they handed it to their boss. So Mm. to me I think that's all crappy market research personally.
0: And that's actually what's dragging down the perception I think of market research because there is so much of this it's either poorly constructed. Or it's based on a poor proposition mm-hmm. to test anyway. I mean, I think anyone that spends a dollar on market research just to get the answer they want <laughs> to justify their decision <laughs> is wasting their time and money yep. to do that. Because, you know, to me, uh, market research has always been about either finding or proving the insights that mm. you've identified or the hypothesis. That's right.
1: You know, because
0: that's really where you generate value.
1: Yeah, you're so right, and yeah, that's a very hard paradigm to for a lot of people in market research to accept. Mm-hmm. They, uh, yeah, it's it's that's the way it should be. It hasn't been that way traditionally in the industry. So I I often find that the uh, the people who are best and most useful um, in these type of situations are ones who have come from a different background, either a really good science background. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked with a guy who. Um, who'd be what's the term a theologian so someone who sure. studied religions he was fantastic because he was great at you know wading through masses of, of disparate information and different ways of expressing things and trying to come to what is the essence of things and and that person was remarkably good in this other context because his skill set was so powerful and so um Coming back to the basic point of, uh, there is so much crappy market research, and that's partly because most people are coming up from the same paradigm, if you like, yeah. of what they've done previously. We've always done surveys, we've tracked the same thing over time, who cares if it's not relevant yeah. anymore, it's the measure we use in here. Or,
0: or the organisation that says, we're not going to back anything until you've done the oh. market research. So yeah. it
1: becomes, a reduces it,
0: Well, and also reduces it to a rubber stamp. Yes. Because in a way it becomes a gate. And and in actual fact, any sort of research is an iterative process yes. because you know, I always um, say to people, you know, for six years I was working in medical research and it was publish or perish, right? But you would put a, um, a, a grant application in to get your funding, and even if you got to the end of the process, if the experiments were properly constructed, a negative outcome was, was still valuable. an insightful outcome, absolutely. Whereas, you know, I think too often in business, negative. Means means you did something wrong. Yes. (laughs) Negative is failed. No. Negative just says the proposition has been disproved. You know, it's a bit like I love watching that show, The Mythbusters. Yes. And they say it's disproved. Well, that's just as interesting as the one that's been proven. Yep. And that we should take
1: that same approach. No. Well. Yeah. Thank you. I'll use that medical (laughs) science example because it's a really good one. Um, I I think look, there's been two factors that have that have led organisations not to take that rational approach. Sorry about that. Um, One of those is that uh, it would seem to take more time to go through and disprove a lot of things. Can't we just just focus on those things um, that we think are going to be right? It's easier. There's this perception that having some disproved and some proved is just a long way to get to the same point. That's number one, Um, and there's the the ancillary um, cost cut there. But I, I think there's this whole, um, if you're a middle manager, it's very hard to go to your boss and say, "Ah, oh, this great idea I had, it doesn't actually fly. You know, it's, it's not seen to be as a, a promotion vehicle. So there's a whole ethos of saying things are if they don't fly, they don't work. I mean, if they don't, if they're not, uh, well, that's right. You, what's that saying? You never take bad news to your boss. Yeah. It's that type of thing. Now, it's interesting. I just heard from Uh, a fellow from Atlassian this morning, and they've really tried to create from day one 13 years ago a different type of culture um, where they do things like encourage their staff to work from home because that's often more productive. Um, But they have worked very hard at a culture of... um, not just open communication in a a sort of uh, corporate-speak way, but in a way where it's effective and where they do value the things which don't work. But they also record those things that don't work. So that becomes of itself learnings along the way, instead of they were just failures that we put in the bottom drawer and never talk about. So that's one company that I, I think has got a terrific approach to to leveraging those failures, leveraging those things which didn't fly. And probably over time, they will be more cost effective than the traditional organisation which says, we're only going ahead if, if it meets those narrow criteria that we set. And if it doesn't meet those, don't tell me about it.
0: Yeah, well, um, I think it was uh, Edison, you know, with the light bulb. Ah. He said, "What was I? I, I tried five thousand six hundred and eighty-two different filaments yes. to find the right one." Yeah, yeah uh, often the, the biggest ins, ince- uh, the biggest developments, the biggest leap forward, can take a lot of negative outcomes, uh, uh, failures in mm. quotes, mm. to actually move forward. But let's go back to this idea of you know, because I think there is a level of uh, cynicism in the marketplace about the promise of data and big data? you know Has it become the tool for uh, big tech companies to sell technology to handle it? Or now, what are the ways that marketers could use it or even not use it?
1: Sure. I, on that point, if I hear that example of Target, the um, US target who oh, yes, found
0: the pregnant girl before, before her the parents knew. yes you know.
1: I mean that that's become the catch cry mm. of big data and They don't mention the <laughs> 200 million times where they sent the wrong product to someone because they use these simplistic algorithms mm. Which said that uh, just because? Uh, Darren buys gin he must like tonic. Well actually you're buying it for your wife. Yeah. <laughs> you're not buying it for you. So um, So yes, there absolutely is this uh, Myth building around the use of big data to solve all sorts of problems. So it's like any new invention; it's going to fix everything. So there's there's inevitably that. Um, I think it's still so early in its development that we really haven't developed those mechanisms for integrating it into uh, in, in, into what a business should do. In the simple terms, as of now, I'd always advise people: don't let don't let your data scientists or whoever loose on the data and just say, what? see what you can find. Mm. right. The data science isn't sophisticated enough yet to do that. right. They, they just don't know enough. They're, they're finding correlations any, everywhere, and they don't know if they're causal or not. They're just correlations. So at this point in time, until the data science industry becomes more expert and more sophisticated, the best thing a marketer can do is to go to the market and say, look. Uh, we're hearing from our sales reps this thing's happening can you conduct an a b test on the data and actually work out whether there's whether that's happening or not mm-hmm. right so that you direct the data to to test things like we we're talking about before but there is a, a I think there's a great uh, tendency at the moment for marketers to go oh I won't have to think anymore if I just get the data scientists to come up with stuff. And it's yeah, a bit like man. the example before about the segmentations, which are useless. Well,
0: yeah, um, I think, uh, you know, those uh, books about Freakonomics, you know, <laughs> it is so easy to get cause and effect mixed up yes. if you're just looking at data trending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if you start seeing two points and yep. they seem to be trending in the same way, then to make some quantum leap to say there's a cause and effect here yeah. can lead you down the very wrong path. But what are the times that marketers should probably consider not using? data. Um, Is there times that- Oh, no, absolutely.
1: Um, Here's a couple of dangerous times. Right. Um, It's been well proven in in a lot of academic research that first adopters actually have different behaviours. To the um, early majority, hmm. right? First adopter is a weird breed, and what they love to do is find the latest thing, and then they get bored with it, and they go and find the next latest thing. So it's really, really easy for a marketer to launch a product and say, "Oh, we've got instant take-up," and look, the data is showing this trend, and then, and they interpret that as meaning that it's going to be a success. Right. You, you're, you're reacting, like <laughs> Mark, <in> my... <laughs> Mark, I've got my head in my hands
0: because. Um, I recently uh, opened a box, and it's got the Palm 5 right. and the 5X with all the bits there. Uh-huh. Because, you know, I think for a while I was the early adopter, <laughs> Yeah. And, and and this box has got a lot of other technology in yeah. there. I'm thinking, no one will want to buy it, so I'll open a little museum yes. to technology. Yeah, yeah? yeah. I think it's the only value that it has left. But, oh. yes, early adopters are, are, are a unique breed. They are. Yeah, and... Yeah. Uh, in fact, a lot of the evidence is showing that you've got to l- not look for the early adopters, but the first wave. Yes. The edge of the first wave yep. is where you move no. to a mass market. That's right. Is, because there have been things that have been successful with the early adopters that never moved on.
1: Yep. Um,
0: Sony Betacam.
1: Yes. That's, that, that,
0: thank you. That <laughs> because is it the, was the best quality video yes, recorder. At the time. But VHS, which was poorer, yep. technical quality, was the one that took off because it was more widely available Right. in all of the video libraries. Yep. Oh, my God, video libraries, remember that? No, That's mean, how old you great, and I great are. Great place to meet girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, Quentin Tarantino got his start there. He just sat there watching movies oh, right. until he um, started coming up with ideas
1: for his own script. Cool. So, uh, Sorry, just to finish then, so that's one, one real great danger yep. of big data is is to use the data to instantly make a judgment about something. Um another time that I, I think a marketer shouldn't use big data is when they don't interrogate it properly. I'll give you a quick example. So a company sent me, um, they've been doing some um, NPS tracking, so uh, net promoter score. So they ask these uh, distributors of theirs to um, rate things. and. And they asked, uh, when you do a a net promoter score, you say, what score out of from 0 to 10? And then why did you say that? So they had these pieces of data, over 2,000 pieces of data with a a rating and Mm -hmm. a comment. And they said, oh, we can't interpret the comments. There's too many of them. I said, that's fine. Why don't we just, for nothing, run it through a word cloud software, Creates this big mosaic of words and... And uh, then we all looked at it and went. Oh, that doesn't really tell us much. It's just a collection. I said, Why don't we separate those who said nine and ten versus those who said one to six, and run the software again? And suddenly, out of the mass, we looked at the nine and tens. We got three or four names of service reps. Right. Right. That were really popping cool. out. Yeah. Yeah. That popped out because you'd 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 uh, s- taken it from this vast sea of data and cut it into some rivers that that made sense. Mm. So.
0: I think we started
1: segmenting it, exactly. basic
0: based, and looking at those individual pieces of data. That's right. As pools rather right. than as the whole. I mean, um, from a mathematics point of view, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the problem with whole uh, large numbers, the more sample points you get, the more you'll find the mean. Absolutely. And everything, more and more will fall within the mean because of the standard distribution. Absolutely. It just gets higher and higher and nope. higher. So suddenly you're overcome by everything is average. Yep. And there are no insights no, no in I, average. It's that, the outliers that, that, that actually create the insights. Exactly, yep. yeah.
1: So, yeah, so in simple terms, don't use it to... to uh, We don't look too early to spot trends just because you've got the data to do it. Mm. Um, And secondly, never look at the whole of the big data. It's too big and too averaged. Mm. Always try to break it up and try different ways of breaking it up, preferably in ones that you've got an opportunity to respond to. So states or whatever.
0: So so if I get what you said earlier, the best way forward if you're using data is to have a you know make an observation and have a hypothesis mm-hmm. and then get a data scientist or a data analyst to actually look at the data to see if it supports the hypothesis yes. or not to That's see right. whether it see, it appears to be a legitimate observation and so then that. to look at finding ways of testing that hypothesis yes. beyond the date the data yep. alone, yes. to be able to, to get a, second, a yes. secondary validation for yes. it, yeah?
1: precisely. Okay. If we can so only educate So what's marketers. beyond <laughs> this then?
0: What go, what's the, going to be the next step beyond this process? Or do you think just getting everyone to this process is going oh, to be… I, I
1: think that's going to take a retirement of a whole generation of baby boomers really to… <laughs> to Possibly. Uh, …to get there arguably artificial intelligence will be the next step uh, learning l- learning machines of course yeah um, uh, they will potentially be which the is, next wisdom. Th- oh, it and is wisdom yeah wisdom
0: It's the ability to 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 run a process over and over again and yes. through each iteration gather knowledge and wisdom of what to do yes. to find the insights
1: indeed now the thing that worries me about that is again, from our science backgrounds, we know that the fundamental, how evolution happens is that any given species is always varying itself. It's having genetics brings up tall people and short people, and uh, people with brown skin and, and white skin.
0: And then mutations and muta- spontaneous mutations.
1: Absolutely. And some of those are more suited to the environment than others. So they, they succeed, right? So it's, a, it's an outgoing process always, evolution. When when we look at it in a, a series of pictures, It just looks like a constant thing. But what's actually happening is it's figuring back and forth and eventually it gets to the end. Now, what worries me with artificial intelligence is I think it will be constantly moving in. It will be normalizing. Thank you. It will be normalizing. It it, it would take an extraordinarily brave machine to be spontaneously breaking out in the way that each baby that's born is different from another.
0: But ultimately, the measure of artificial intelligence is its ability to replicate human behavior. And because the test, yes, yeah, the test is. I feel like I'm actually conversing or working with a human being. And the thing about human beings beings is our ability to make quantum leaps and find new patterns. So any anything, if it's purely artificial intelligence of how to uh, get things to fit a particular pattern, then you're absolutely right. But let's hope that uh, as they move forward, that they find ways of looking for that spo- almost spontaneous generation.
1: Yeah, I, I hope so too.
0: To look for the mutation it, and to, to yes. encourage the, the mutation. mutation, because in actual fact, that's creativity. Yes. Yeah. You know, creativity is constantly looking for ways that will
1: break the pattern. Yes, or else it wouldn't be creative by definition. Yeah, yeah. that's right.
0: Now, what? Speaking of creativity, because my bugbear in market research for the fifteen years as a copywriter was concept testing, yes, and particularly Millward Brown
1: <gasps> link testing. Okay, let's just name names here. No, no.
0: Well, it's it's they sell it as Millward Brown link testing, right. you know, where it links the execution to the particular messages that they want to take yeah. out, and it comes back with you need to change it. It actually tells you how to change the ad. Hmm. Right, and, and is very directional in hmm. doing that. Now, I mean, knowing the limitations of asking people questions as opposed to the way they sure. process it, um, what do you think of uh, concept testing?
1: I am totally opposed to concept testing within a structured environment. So uh, any tool, Millwood Brown, or there's a number of those proprietary tools, is by definition... Uh, coming from a particular paradigm right and it says this is the way the world works well I'm sorry (laughs) no set of 30 questions no matter how well constructed actually can represent all of the reactions that people have to a complex stimuli like advertising so it's inevitably a limited paradigm so the things that will succeed or fail through that will be very limited and we all know that a new ad can come out Really left field execution, and suddenly everyone's going, "That's fantastic!" And as you said, that's creativity. So conceptually, I disagree entirely with those structured tools for for assessing advertising. But but even more basically, um, people are very very poor at telling you what they want. Mm. They're even relatively poor at telling you what they like. <laughs> because what they like now within the, the one minute or two minutes of viewing the ad might be a totally different way to they feel about it after they've been sitting at home for a couple of months watching this ad coming through. And they've got the jingle in their head. And it, it's it, it's become almost a friend in their lounge room. So yeah. however you view that ad in, in, again, in a structured testing environment, where they say, ah. Oh, you know, I don't like that woman because she's got a, a pink dress on and the uh, Millwood Brown says, actually, if you change it to a green dress, it'll be much more successful. But it might be over time that you come, that the consumer comes to love that pink dress and it becomes a part of the execution. Yeah. So does that answer your question?
0: Absolutely. Thank you. We're I, in agreement. I, I, I appreciate that because, uh, you know, I, I still... Uh, especially with a lot of the consumer goods companies that have their process. One of the processes is the link testing and the number of, I've heard as many times that it won the link testing (laughs) but when it was finally made it (laughs) failed. And it it didn't deliver any of the results. And I go, because the link testing is wrong. The concept testing is not the way to test. Um, I think, uh, you know, share with you the, um, you know, The fact that you can actually online put a whole lot of messages out there and test which message gets a reaction is real-time testing. Uh, Absolutely. And low cost and quick and very, very targeted against a particular demographic that you want to test it on. So, yeah, if you're going to do anything, that would be the way to Uh. do it.
1: Yep, yeah, and, and completely. And that's, again, that's kind of the essence of a scientific methodology of an A B testing or any of those things. It, you're just putting it out into a, pre, uh, a practical context. Mm. But it's the same, it's exactly the same thing. And it, sadly.
0: Well, Mark, I'm afraid we're out of yeah. time, but it's been terrific catching up, and we'll do it again uh, very soon. Sure. But uh, before you go, I've got a question for you because you raised it before. Right. And that is what's your favourite ad at the moment? Oh, <laughs> Oh mm-hmm.